Hi, everyone, and welcome to our session on the new world of work. We're going to talk about what employees really want and what you can do to attract and retain the talent that you need for the future. My name is Sarah Raposo. I'm a psychologist and director of behavioral research at Fidelity, and I study how people's beliefs, emotions, and experiences shape the decisions that they make, both on the part of employees and employers. And with me, I have Nigel McNeil. Thank you, Sarah. So, yes, hello, everyone. Um, I'm Nigel McNeil. I'm a vice president in Fidelity's Workplace Consulting, and I specialize in designing and activating inclusive employee experience for organizations. So there's striking new research out of Gallup that shows that only one in four employees believes that their organization cares about their well-being. And considering that work is where people spend about a third of their days, this is pretty disheartening. So clearly, the employer-employee relationship is broken in many cases, and this is really underlying the trouble that organizations are having attracting and retaining talent right now. So to attract and retain the right talent now more than ever, organizations must really evolve their employee experience to connect in a new way with their people, to really inspire them, to drive loyalty, and to drive performance. And in this new world of work, Having an authentic relationship with your people is key. So many organizations that are thriving, the ones that are really prioritizing their relationships with their people. But you might be wondering what that actually means. So over the next 45 minutes or so, we'll unpack that for you. We're going to share um, what we've learned from our own research, what we see other great organizations are doing, and we'll share our perspective on how to really build that authentic relationship with your people. Um, and we're going to start by actually having you do a little activity, everyone. So we want you to think about some of the strongest relationships in your lives. Now, this might be a friend, could be a sibling relationship, a coworker, a mentor, or a mentee. But think about what it is that makes these relationships so great. What characteristics do they have in common? Now, at the same time, think about some of the strained relationships that you've experienced. What are some of the things that these relationships have in common? So just reflect on that for a minute um, and keep that in mind as uh, we cover these next two topics. So as you're thinking about those relationships, there are decades of research into what makes healthy and unhealthy relationships um, and really shows what differentiates them. And when it comes to unhealthy relationships, you might think immediately of things like verbal abuse or physical assault. And while those are clear markers, they're not really, there's much more subtle ones as well that differentiate them. So Esther Perel is a psychotherapist and she specializes in relationships. And here's what she has to say about the troubling signs. What are the core uh, reasons or the core things you see over and over that uh, either end or make a relationship challenging to be in the longer you're in? What are the, what are the ones that what are the challenges that come up over and over that you see? Mm. So there's always three questions, right? What's a thriving relationship? A thriving one. Yeah. yeah. What can go wrong? Uh-huh. And how do you fix it? Okay. So you started with the middle question. <laughs> what goes yeah, wrong? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I think there's a number of things in a relationship that that uh, that become the, the, the kind of uh, cornerstones of the demise, okay? And I'm not going to list them in order, but they sure. all are part of each other. Um indifference and contempt and neglect and violence are probably the four most important 
Okay. I'm not talking about big violence. Microaggressions are plenty. Indifference. When you start to feel like the other person fundamentally is not really caring about you anymore, or you don't care about them, what they feel, what they think, who they are, what they're about. You just a, don't care. You've lost interest. Just, but it's more than losing of interest. Mm. It's also when you are indifferent, you degrade the other person. They're less important to you. They don't matter. Mm. And ultimately, what we feel in relationships is that we matter. That is the essential reason for connecting to people is that we are creatures of meaning. Right. I matter to you. I'm someone. You care about me. You want my, you want my well-being. You're proud of me. You, you want good for me. You're benevolent. All of that. When you are indifferent, the whole thing goes. So as Esther touched on in the video, one of the main reasons for relationships breaking down is indifference and neglect. And by contrast, strong relationships are ones in which people really feel like they matter. And a lot of the research that Esther talks about was actually conducted or spearheaded by Dr. John Gottman. He's a psychologist and a renowned relationship expert. And in addition to this idea of mattering, another hallmark of healthy relationships that he's found in his research is having a positive balance in an emotional bank account. And so basically the way that this works is that positive interactions in a relationship fill up this bank account and negative ones deplete it. And in fact, using this information, he's been able to develop models that predict with 90% accuracy the timing of a couple's divorce. But it turns out that not all experiences are created equal. You would need to bank five positive experiences for every negative experience just to be able to net out at zero. So I know it might seem at the moment that we're all in group therapy, <laughs> but in all seriousness, although we're talking about relationships outside of work, we believe that these, many of these same things apply to the relationship that organizations have with their people too. So we know over the past two years, it's been an incredibly stressful time and in particular has put a lot of strain on the relationship between organizations and their people. In fact, as Sarah mentioned earlier, Gallup re regularly does a poll of how much employees feel that their employer cares about them. You can see from here, over the past 10 years, it's been pretty stable. Around about one in four employees feel that the, their organization cares a lot about their well-being. Interestingly, you can see that during the pandemic, that rose to a peak of almost half of employees feeling that an organization really cared about them. I mean, that isn't that surprising when you think of all the support the companies put into their people. However, you'll notice that since then, the trend is at its lowest since before 2014. So thinking about that, that peak might actually reflect an employee experience bank account uh, in the green as employees felt what was possible from their employers um, and how quickly they reacted to the pandemic situation and environment. And then you can see as we've kind of reverted um, away from that intense care, employees' sense of a connection to their employer may have plummeted. We can see that dropping down there. Actually, this could be like leading to an empty or overdrawn employee experience bank account. So when we think about it like that, maybe the great resignation is actually the great relationship breakup. So let's have a look at what really matters to employees. And if we think about this like a dating app, like Tinder, um, if we were thinking about what would it be that it would be swiping left on to reject? And what would they swipe right on to accept? Let's start with the factors that making employees swipe left to reject. Sure. So um, to do this, we wanted to highlight some new research from MIT Sloan, where they've highlighted some of the major contributors to the Great Resignation. 
Dantzal and his colleagues, they analyzed over a million reviews that employees left on Glassdoor. And these employees represented employers from over 40 industries. And what they did is looked at whether the things that employees were saying predicted companies' industry-adjusted attrition rate. And in the end, they were able to identify five major predictors of turnover. So I'll just let this slide populate for a minute. And we'll go through each of them. So the first predictor, and this is really the, the top, the strongest predictor of turnover, was having a toxic culture. And a toxic culture entails a few things. So a disrespectful workplace it also includes a non-inclusive workplace where um, certain identity groups don't feel that they belong, like LGBTQ or employees of color. But it could also just mean a general non-inclusive culture where employees don't really feel that sense of belonging. Toxic cultures are also characterized by unethical practices, being cutthroat, and abusive. So toxic cultures were the number one driver. The second one was job insecurity and reorgs. And actually, our own research backs this up too, where we found that um, experiencing a reorg is one of the most stressful life events that an employee can experience only behind having a chronic illness. The third driver they identified was, was an unsustainable workload due to high levels of innovation. Now, even though it can be really attractive to work for a super innovative company, what this is also correlated with is really high expectations, high demands that challenge employees' work-life balance. The fourth driver they identified was a failure to recognize employees' performance or contribution. So again, connected back to employees not feeling like they matter. And then finally, just a poor response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And a growing body of research bolsters these findings. So including a recent uh, survey by McKinsey, where found that actually the reasons that people were accepting and leaving jobs are quite different. So employees are accepting new jobs primarily due to looking for more workplace flexibility and adequate compensation. But they're leaving jobs because of uncaring leave, leave leaders uh, unsustainable work performance expectation and lack of career development. And Sarah, I suppose one thing we haven't mentioned yet is burnout. And that's something people are all talking about. So isn't that the real reason that people are leaving? Yeah, Nigel, you know, it's a great, um, a great point because burnout really has risen dramatically over the last couple of years, but burnout isn't new. So back in 2019, from another Gallup poll, they found that over three quarters of employees said that they felt burned out at least some of the times. And a quarter of employees, 25%, said they felt often or always burned out. So the thing that we know about burnout from research is that the factors that contribute to it are actually a lot of the same factors that foster a toxic workplace culture. So things like employees not feeling like they have control over the work they do or over their schedule, not being recognized for their contributions. So burnout is actually the symptom of the problem. It isn't actually the root cause of attrition. And so when you see burnout in your people, this can be a sign that there's something else going on below the surface. And so all the things that we've been talking about that's going on in the work environment, this is really just what's going on in the workplace, never mind all that's been happening in the background on a global scale, right, Nigel? Yeah, exactly. So... The fact that these are unprecedented times and people are feeling less safe and secure. And you can see here, this is the World Uncertainty Index, which is a measure that tracks uncertainty across the globe. 
Um, and it's been steadily rising um, over the last 30 years. So if you think back to the 2008 financial crisis, if you think about social justice issues that have been plaguing our communities or rising economic um, inequality, and now to things like uh, issues around the climate, thinking about political unrest, even to the, the Ukraine-Russia war at the moment. So our safety has been um, affected and threatened in a real way for a prolonged period of time. In fact, the American Psychological Association Stress in America survey recently found that 80% of Americans um, are worried and stressed about global uncertainty. Wow. Um, and so if we put this all together, these employee experiences that we've described, both this uncertainty and stress outside of work, but also reorgs, job changes, um, schedule changes, untenable workload, a lack of recognition, this all really stems from having a particular mindset. It stems from viewing employees as a resource. And that way of viewing employees just is not working anymore. So we have an opportunity for a mindset shift. And instead, we can view employees as a critical relationship that needs to be nurtured. So what we're going to do next is walk through some of the things that we know employees are swiping right on. Some of those things that they're looking for in this relationship and what organizations are doing right. So Nigel, do you want to kick us off with the first thing? Yes, thank you, Sarah. So, yep, the first thing today's employees want is an organization they believe in. So if you think about this world of uncertainty, uh, strong values-led organizations really stand out. Um, and both employees and consumers actually are looking for organizations to be really clear on the values that they stand for. And in fact, to be advocates for change in the world um, you can see there's some consumer research by Cantor that found that the majority of Americans' consumers expect these clear values and want to buy from brands that really show them. And this is even more important for underrepresented groups as well. So Sarah, what are we seeing from employers? Yeah, so recently we conducted a survey of over a thousand global multinational organizations to really understand what it is that they're prioritizing and how these priorities are impacting outcomes like attraction and retention. And what we found is that employers who reported having more priorities related to their workplace culture, they had an easier time attracting employees. So they actually report attraction rates that are five percentage points higher compared to their peers who had none or few priorities related to workplace culture. So what we think is going on here is that these employers with more organizational culture priorities, they're probably putting just more energy or resources into developing or to maintaining a strong culture. And so uh, potential employees are probably seeing this. And Nigel, to your point, it's very likely resonating with them as they're deciding who they want to work for uh, right now. Yes. So thank you, Sarah. So the second thing that employees are swiping right on is respect for their needs. And I think we'll agree that the pandemic has touched us all and changed us permanently. Um, and actually mortality has really been at the forefront of everyone's mind on a global scale. I mean, personally, I had three family members pass with COVID um, during the pandemic. And even someone that hasn't been directly touched by this, I think we've all been bombarded by constant reporting um, of mortality in the news. And one thing that this does do is it really drives people's um, focus on the time that they have and they want to make it as valuable and meaningful as possible. So if you think about that, it's no wonder that people are really reassessing 
how they spend their time, how they balance their time between work and life and their family. And that's why we're seeing that flexibility and that kind of the balance, the work-life balance has become so important. In fact, in our 2021 global employee sentiment survey, we found that the desire for flexibility is widespread. And it's even more important with certain groups as well. So if you look at um, employees under the age of 40 and women, the desire for flexibility, it's like 40% of them, they need more work flexibility. Yeah. And the thing is that it isn't even that these are new desires. So like thinking back to the way that um, the nine to five was developed, it was really designed decades ago for a particular kind of employee in mind. So usually a man who's married with a wife at home. So these work days, they were never really designed to work for everyone. But the interesting thing is that what the pandemic showed us is that it is possible to work differently and not only that, but to do it successfully. So now the challenge is to continue to build flexibility into benefits and into the workplace in a way that's sustainable in the long term to really kind of recreate and recapture some of that goodness that employees experienced when they believe that their employees had their, that their employers had their backs and were taking action. So thinking back to that little spike in the Gallup poll, um, Nigel, that you pointed out. Mm, yeah. Um, and to do this right, I think it's important to get clear on, fle- on what flexibility actually means to employees. So they're not looking for a new fixed hybrid sh- uh, schedule. So it's like two days in the office. And, um, but really, they're actually looking for more autonomy so they can balance their work and life in ways that really meet their needs and are productive. And this means you have to really trust your employees and your managers. Now, you might have heard of like two theories of management, uh, which were developed by Douglas McGregor in the 50s and 60s called Theory X and Theory Y. Um, and Theory X really believes that people don't want to work. So they have to be very tightly managed and controlled um, and kind of made to do the work. Whereas Theory Y actually believes that people have an innate desire to work. They want to do it um, and they want to be autonomous and empowered. And I think it's interesting that the pandemic actually proved out theory Y because you weren't able to manage people in that traditional way of theory X over that period. And yet people were still productive and were still effective and efficient. Um, and so if you're still thinking of terms in terms of theory X around really controlling people and managing them, not trusting them, I think you need to do a mindset shift to really reevaluate uh, because people are looking for that theory Y style environment. So it might mean that you need to be more focused on your leaders and managers to help them really adapt and move forward and continue moving forward with that theory why. Um, and the other thing about flexibility, it's about being flexible. So one size doesn't fit all. You might not need to apply the same thing to all of your workforce. You might have some that do need to be there nine to five, but there's ways you can introduce flexibility into what you're offering, um, either around things like how you schedule the work, like uh, controlled um, sorry, like shared schedules, or even how you're thinking about some of the benefits that you offer. Um, and Sarah, there's some data, isn't there, around like kind of the value of benefits as well? Yeah, exactly. So in our value of benefits research program, we actually started this back in 2018. And what we do is we look to identify benefits and in our most recent wave, also forms of flexibility that predict job offer acceptance rates and employee outcomes, like how satisfied they are at work. So in our most recent wave at the end of 2021, we surveyed over 1,500 employers and over 13,000 retirement plan participants. 
And what we found is that having access to an array of flexible working arrangements, in particular remote work and condensed schedules, as you see on the slide here, these were top predictors of employees feeling well at work. So that's one way. Another way to think about flexibility and benefits is by making sure that employees have the time they need to actually take care of what matters outside of work. And in this same research, we find that employers who offer more leave and time away benefits, so benefits like paid time off, paid maternity and parental leave, and paid sick leave, they have significantly higher retention rates compared to their peers who offer none or even only some of these. And one of the things that I found interesting is that back in 2018, when we first did this research, this wasn't the case. So these time away and flexibility benefits were not top drivers of retention. So I think this just reflects, uh, Nigel, the shift that you were talking about that's happened over the last couple of years in terms of what employees are expecting and what they're trying to put into action. Um, the other thing is that offering flexibility in this way can also be a pathway to building trust with employees. And we know that that's so fundamental to this employer-employee relationship. And when we ask employees what benefits would help them to trust their employer, seven out of the top 10 that they named were actually about flexibility or time away. So Nigel, you want to tell us about um, the next thing employees are looking for, the final thing? Mm -hmm. Yes, thanks, Sarah. So yes, that final swipe right is that people are really looking for an inclusive and stable place to grow. Um, and as we saw before, high levels of innovation and job security create very stressful environments and they actually make it more likely that people are going to leave you. Um, so it's really around how do you balance this like desire for innovation um, and in a place that creates growth and stability for people. We actually see that some employees are really taking control of that themselves through the gig economy. Um, in fact, there's some estimates that 35% of workers are working in the gig or doing gig work. Um, and actually some organizations are now rising up to this and are starting to think about how to structure work in a way that really gives people kind of gig-like opportunities um, to do things and to grow. I mean, actually at Fidelity, we have a program called Thrive, which allows people to do internal gig-like work, um, really kind of uh, supplement their income and grow their skills too. And by thinking in this way, um, it really helps you to start to unlock any hidden talents you might have in the organization and capture those before they leave um, and also create paths for growth. Um, and we've seen the benefits of both employers and employees. And in our global multinationals uh, survey that Sarah mentioned earlier, employers that had more priorities relating to talent development had higher retention rates than the average. Yeah, and then um, on employees' part, we find that professional development opportunities are really critical and really valued by them too. So back to that value benefits research program, we found that professional development was the number one quote-unquote benefit um, that we asked about that, that employees said helps them to trust their employer. It was also one of the top reasons that employees said that they would stay at their job. And not just that, but employees who have access to professional development, whether they used it or not, but just knowing that it was available, they report feeling significantly more satisfied at their jobs, um, in addition to having access to those flex work benefits that I mentioned earlier. So this is above and beyond. So these organizations that offer upskilling and growth opportunities, what they're doing is that they're showing employees that they matter. They're showing them that they're worth the investment 
Um, and we know that helps to build a stronger relationship as we covered earlier for loyalty. And the neat thing is that these programs can be formal. Um, so they can be, you know, structured programs for professional development, trying new opportunities out, but they can also be informal. So if you think about unlocking that talent, Nigel, that you mentioned, uh, we can also think about uh, skill exchanges or mentorship programs. So I know that we've talked about a lot of different things that employees are looking for, but what it really comes down to is that they're looking for an inclusive workplace. They're looking for one in which they connect to what you stand for as an organization, where they feel that their needs are seen and respected, um, and where they believe that there's fair and equal opportunity for them to grow, to thrive, to make a difference at work. So at the end of the day, what does this really mean for employers? Nigel, what are some of the things that people in this room might be able to take away with them and maybe act on? Yes. Okay, thank you, sir. So the first thing around building a stronger relationship is really just get you know, get to know yourself and your people. So in a relationship-based organization, the way you connect with your people is really important and it needs to be on an emotional level. So first of all, just get to know what you stand for. This might be a time to revisit your values. I mean, do they work in this new world of work? Are they really aligning with what people are looking for now? Um, and are they really kind of like, kind of really connecting into like what this new environment of all the things we've talked about um, that people are expecting. And when we say values, we don't mean things like hot button issues, but more your kind of characteristics. Are you about honesty, uh, openness, bravery, um, whatever those might be for your organization? Thinking about them as guiding principles that are really going to help you address some of the, the present day issues, but also help to build this new culture, this relationship culture. Secondly, I think it's about getting to know your people. And I would say, let's go beyond just the traditional employee engagement surveys or polls as you might do. I mean, at Fidelity, we use this amazing virtual focus group platform, which allows you in a very dynamic way to reach out to up to a thousand people at a time. And it's, it's also very democratic because it's these kinds of tools now, which are virtual, allow you to hear everybody's voice, not just the loudest one in the room. And that's really important because you can actually start to hear from some of your underrepresented groups as well and start to build up more of that inclusive view, the perspectives that you have there. Also, really tapping into employee resource groups, using them as a way to get feedback on the experience of people and also using them as a soundboard to help you make decisions. It's all about getting perspectives and data. Yeah, so on that point about data, um, I can share something that we do pretty often in research, in research, one of our recommendations here is to broaden the data that you gather. And when we do surveys, it's really common practice for us to um, ask respondents to tell us about their identity. So we ask questions about age, about gender identity, race and ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic status, sometimes sexual orientation where it's relevant. These are always voluntary questions and we do it in a very transparent way where we'll explain why we're asking. But the reason this is so powerful is that then it allows us to look at things like financial behaviors or attitudes within an identity group and go really deep. And then also compare across identity groups um, to see what's similar and what's different and what can we learn and leverage. Um, so this really helps us, this approach helps us to gain richer insights than we would have if we had just stayed at the surface at the average level. So I know that there are probably challenges for employers to implement this, but 
thinking about the, the data that you already have, maybe, or the ways that you can um, collect data in order to build these richer insights um, could be one area to focus on as well. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Um, and also tune into your managers. I mean, they've been at the cutting edge, really, of uh, this new world and have been dealing with a lot during the pandemic. They're a, they're a linchpin to your organization. So really understanding their feedback and their views and their, their understanding their stresses within this new world of work is important because they're so critical to driving through this new uh, relationship with your people. Um, and finally, make sure that you're gathering information around benefits at key um, points in the employee life cycle. Some of you might be doing things like uh, new joiner pulses or lever pulses. Often those are maybe missed opportunities where you could really be finding out how your benefits have played into the attraction or the retention or what didn't in keeping people in your organization. And it gives you good insight into the employee experience you need to create as well. All right, let's, uh, let's take away number two. Okay, so the next one, I think is using this and just making sure that you have an employee value proposition that really shows that people matter. Your EVP is such a great way to shape what you offer and market yourself to the talent you need. And if we think about what does that look like now in this new world of work? And I think we're seeing that really strong EVPs are weaving in purpose and meaning and values into the, the, into the offer and really articulating them. Um, what you should be doing is really consider where your organization stands on some of these critical issues like the environment, like social issues. What have you done for social justice? Um, what is your policies around diversity, equity, and inclusion? And how have you put them into practice? Um, and then thinking about how you use your benefits to tell a powerful story of who you are. They, they're not just a list of stuff. They're actually, they, they're very clear indicators of what you stand for as an organization. And how you frame them and how you put them together tells people about what you care about. So really make the most of that narrative around them. Really bring them to life and have the impact with them. And also EVPs that can bring in behavioral elements that are starting to showcase what it's like to be successful there. What are the behaviors that you value? Um, what are those indicators of your culture that you should be bringing through? It starts to bring your, your proposition of who you are to life and really articulates your personality to people. So it becomes much more than just a page where you're like stating out what you have and trying to compete with people around things like compensation or the market. You're starting to bring who you are to life through the employee value proposition that you describe to people. The other thing is really thinking about who owns EVP. So now it's incredibly important that it's not just done by one group. Everybody within the HR or people functions, you own the employee value proposition. You're the architects of it. And we see really successful organizations are the ones where collaboratively they're building their employee value proposition together. And that's also about aligning your business strategy, your people strategy, your talent, your benefit strategies together. So you're really maximizing what you're doing and prioritizing which actions you should take in order to really connect with people in this new world of work. Nigel, it's so important. We all own EVP. And then uh, what's the, the final takeaway? Okay, and the final one, it's really about empathy. It's like how you really help to have empathic leaders in this new world of work. They're so critical. And being able to understand people's perspectives and situation is really important to be able to help them be successful and remove these barriers. And it's so important for relationships. There's two kind of aspects to empathy. It's not just all touchy-feely. It's not soft skill. It's incredibly important. 
And the two aspects of it, one is around emotional um, empathy, where you really feel what the other person is feeling. The other is around cognitive empathy, where you know what the other person is feeling. And we've touched on how you get to these and what we've been talking about before. I think having clarity on your values and culture gives your leaders and managers a kind of foundation with which they can start to understand, lean into that, um, to be able to like unlock some of that emotional empathy. Um, things like inclusivity training really helps people to kind of walk a mile in someone else's shoes and really understand what they might be feeling. The other thing to build cognitive um, empathy is really a thing that Sarah was touching on before, is about collecting this data. You need to understand like what's going on in the organization so that your leaders can get a real sense of who people are and what's going on so they can make better leadership decisions. Now, we know there's been lots of research about the power of diversity in driving through performance in organizations, but that disruptive, positive disruption is only able to be done if there is um, a real sense of trust and psychological safety as well. Without it, it can become chaotic or even it can silence some of that, that disruption, that positive disruption as well. So there's some things around making sure that when you're looking at leaders and managers, that you really are focusing on promoting and supporting those underrepresented groups into those, those positions as well. I know we're all thinking about it, but it's incredibly important. It sends such a visible sign to people um, and it goes a long way towards building that sense of belonging and connection. Finally, I know we've all felt this life, work, life and work merging into each other um, over the pandemic. Leaders and managers, they own the boundaries of this. They're the ones that set it out. They're the ones that control it. And it's so important to keep doing that to reduce that risk of burnout and help people balance this new world of work, of life and work, in a sustainable way going forward as well. So just to wrap us up um, and to tap back into what we've been living in the day-to-day, this uncertainty that we've been living through, this really uncomfortable in-between time. This is a period of transition. And science actually shows that times of transition can be great times to make a change. And so maybe this is the universe collectively inviting us to try something different. If you take one thing away with you today, um, I hope that it is that the key ingredient to strong relationships is belonging and connection. So whatever it is that we do, we need to show that people matter by seeking to understand them and by meeting them where they are. And by doing this, we can help employees to feel that they belong and that you belong together. And so uh, with that, um, we'll end our session. We covered a lot of research and resources, so we're going to make these available to all of you in the app. Um, and on behalf of Nigel and myself, um, thank you so much for your time and attention. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Benefits That Benefit podcast by Fidelity. We hope you learned a lot from this episode. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. We'd also love to hear from you, so leave a rating and a review to let us know what you think. Lastly, if you'd like to read more about our research and insights on what we now call the Great Recalibration, head to our website at go.fidelity.com forward slash recalibration. Thanks again for listening and see you on our next episode. Sponsor use only. 
Information provided in the podcast is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as investment or tax advice. Views and opinions of the individuals noted are expressed as of the date of the recording and do not necessarily represent the views of Fidelity Investments. Any such views are subject to change at any time based on market or other conditions. Fidelity Investments disclaims any liability for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information in this podcast. Consult your tax or financial advisor for information concerning your specific situation. This podcast is intended for U.S. persons only and is not a solicitation for any Fidelity product or service. This podcast is provided for your personal, non-commercial use and is the copyrighted work of FMR LLC. You may not reproduce this podcast in whole or in part in any form without the permission of FMR LLC. The trademarks and service marks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. Keep in mind that investing involves risk. The value of your investment will fluctuate over time and you may gain or lose money. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC, 900 Salem Street, Smithfield, Rhode Island, 02917. Copyright 2022, FMR, LLC. All rights reserved.